Welcome to those of you who are in the house with us this morning, as well as the many of you who I know are on live stream this morning as well. Particularly if you are new or newer to New Life, just want to extend a, a warm welcome to you. Want to let you know I'll hang out up here in the front after the service is over. And so if we haven't had a chance to personally meet, I would love to just introduce myself and uh, hear a little bit about your story if you happen to be new here. Uh, my name is Chris, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, man, we're, we're excited for uh, what God is doing here, what's coming up. Um, I'm also excited because yesterday was the first day of spring, which means winter is dead, y'all. It's over. It's dead. We're in springtime now. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and, and, and every year in the church world, what that means for us is when a spring kind of enters into the equation, that means what's on the way. Easter, Easter, which is like Super Bowl Sunday for the Christians, right? It's one of the biggest times of the year for us. And so every single year, I make this appeal to you guys as our church family. And so I'm going to make the same appeal, the same pitch again this year. Easter is one of only two times a year that, according to the stats, most people who are unchurched, meaning they have no affiliation with the church, most of them maybe not even believers, are open to coming to a church service if somebody they know and trust will just invite them. And so what I'm asking you to do, we got two weeks until Easter, what I'm asking you to do, if you're part of our faith family here, is to think of one person. I'm not asking you to find 10 or 100, just one person or one family that you could invite to come with you. If you're already back in person, invite them to come to the nine or the 11. Or if you're online, invite them to watch with you online. Man, we got great live stream, you can send them the link. And so be thinking about one person, one family that you can invite to hear the gospel, the greatest news in the world, this news that there's a God who loves people so much that he sent Jesus into this world on a rescue mission to save us, forgive us, redeem us, and set us free. And so that's, listen, that's the message I'm gonna be preaching on Easter. I believe this is the most important message in the world. And so let's get as many people as possible under the, the teaching, under the gospel on Easter Sunday. So be thinking about who you can bring. Also just wanna let you know some changes that are gonna happen beginning Easter Sunday. Many of you probably already got an email. If you get our, our loop, our e-weekly newsletter, you already know this. Um, but I know some of you guys, uh, you, you don't even open those. So I'm, I'm just gonna tell you, beginning Easter Sunday, we're gonna have three options for people to joining up, join us um, on, on Sunday mornings. And so we're gonna continue uh, live streaming at 9 and 11. Man, we, we are committed to making our live stream experience a, a, as best as we can. In fact, we're exploring some ways we can even kind of elevate our, our live stream game. Not only for those uh, of our faith family that are still watching online, not ready, not comfortable to come back to in person yet, but what we're discovering is that our online services are no longer a back door into our church. They're, they're really becoming a front door into our church. And so what we're hearing consistently from new people at New Life is that they watched online for three months, six months, nine months, a year before they ever came in our doors for the very first time. And so we are committed to making our live stream as good as it possibly can be. That will continue, 9 and 11 a.m. Our nine o'clock service is gonna remain like it is. So we're gonna have all the COVID protocols in place, required masking, every other road blocked off, social distancing enforced, all of that stuff. But the 11 o'clock service, we're gonna introduce personal choice, all right? So you just, you just need to be aware of that. 
And so it'll be uh, everybody's option. If you want to wear a mask, great. If you want to kind of sit in the corner and social distance, great. You're free to do that. Also, we know there are many people that have gotten their vaccines. You've had the virus recently, so, so you got some natural immunity. And there are just a lot of you who I hear from pretty consistently like, hey, Chris, man, I got my vaccine. Can we just come and sit by our friends and have a cup of coffee? Well, yes, you can, beginning Easter Sunday at the 11 o'clock service only. Now, I just, I want to say, as we kind of move towards that, I want one thing to kind of mark our church family as we move, kind of transition to more normal, as virus rates continue to plummet, vaccine rates continue to go up. And this is the word that I want to characterize our church family, because I know there are a lot of different opinions about this. Here it is, grace. All right? I want, I want grace to mark our attitudes towards each other. I just want to read, this is Philippians 2. Paul writes this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so if you're in that, crew, that, that group of people, you're like, man, I got that vaccine, I'm so ready, I'm gonna rip that mask off and run in here and hug all my friends and drink my, that's great, that's great, but when you see a brother or sister in Christ who's, who's wearing a mask, respect that, right? Give them their space. If you're gonna go and talk to them, mask up. Let's give each other grace. Let's give each other respect, regardless of where we are on that spectrum. So that's, that's kind of the three options that we're gonna be rolling out beginning Easter Sunday. We want you guys to be aware of that. And again, think of who you can bring, who you can invite, whether you're online, in the room. It's gonna be a great day. Now, last week we started a brand new series called The Abiding Life, Lessons from the Upper Room. And as we saw, it's this scene where Jesus basically gathers together his 12 guys, his 12 disciples, the night before he goes to the cross, and really he's giving them, I, I kind of, I believe, the keys to the kingdom, right? Now just imagine if you knew you had one night left, All right? So you know tomorrow, man, it's, you're, you're, you're going home to meet Jesus. You got one night left with your loved ones, with your family members. What would that night be like? Like I know for me personally, I would want to invest my very best into my family. So if I know, hey, this is my, my last night, I'm calling my wife, hey, Cheryl, I'm calling my three kids over, and, I, and I, I'm really, I'm just investing my, my best in them. Like, I'm gonna be telling them, hey, guys, listen, I'm about to leave. I want you guys to live for God. I want you guys to care for one another, forgive each other, love each other, live for a greater kingdom. Like, I'm gonna be investing my very best in my family, because I know that's the last thing that I'm gonna remember about what I said. And well, the same thing is happening with Jesus in the upper room. These are some of his most rich teachings in John 13 through 17, these five chapters that record this scene in the upper room with his disciples. Now, we saw last week how Jesus kind of took on the position of a servant. He knelt down, he washed his disciples' feet, and essentially what he was doing, he was saying, hey, listen, guys, as my disciples in my upside-down kingdom, your job is not to be served, Right? You're, you're, I know you're gonna be like the apostles, you're gonna be the pillars of the early church movement, you guys are gonna see miracles and the church planted and all these crazy cool things happen, but your job is not to have other people serve you. In fact, you are to serve one another as a picture of the God who knelt down and served you, who gave his life and cleansed you and washed you with his own blood. Your life is to be a picture of that as my disciples. And so we kind of covered the first 17 verses of chapter 13 last week, and so we're gonna cover the back half this week. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up, turn it on on your smart device, go to John's Gospel, chapter 13, that's where we're gonna hang out today. John chapter 13. And the back half of this chapter, things begin to shift a little bit. To, to be honest with you, it gets a little dark. There's a, there's a heaviness that I think is intended to kind of hover over the scene. 
Now, before we dive into the actual text, can you think back to a time in your life where you experienced betrayal? Just think back for a moment. A time where you experienced betrayal. Could have been recent. Could have been a long time ago. I know for me, I can think back to to several times in my life where I've kind of felt the the sting of betrayal. I was kind of thinking this week as I was uh, prepping for the message to the, to the very first time I really felt that sting in my life. And um, I think I was about 14 years old and I, and I had my, my first girlfriend. And what that meant was like we hung out, sat next to each other in, in church on Sunday. I mean, that was like the extent of, of our dating relationship. But I remember, man, I, I, thought, I thought I loved this girl, you know, at, at 14 years old. And in my little 14-year-old mind, I was thinking, who knows, man, maybe in like 10 years after college, we'll get married. And and so I had all these dreams, and so we were, we were together for like six months, and I remember one time at youth, she walks in, and she tries to let me down easy, and she just kind of comes up, with, I can't even remember what dumb thing she said, but she's like, kind of like, oh, well, I think we should be better, we'll be better as friends, or something like that, right? She broke my heart. So Kelly Campbell, if you're, if you're out there today, I want you to know, <laughs> 20 years later, I forgive you. Had a lot of years of therapy because of you. And uh, if that wasn't bad enough, I come into our youth group like two weeks later and she's sitting by one of my best friends. <laughs> she started dating one of my best friends. So double betrayal, man, at 14. And for me, that was a really big deal. Now, I know that is like a kind of a silly example. Many of you have experienced betrayal on far deeper levels. Some of you I know were betrayed as kids by adults in your life that should have been there to protect you, but they weren't. I know some of you have experienced deep, dark betrayal by friends or a spouse or an ex-spouse. And there's something just especially painful about betrayal. And as we're gonna see in John 13, not even Jesus was immune to the pain of betrayal. And I hope that that will be an encouragement to you that you have a savior who knows what it's like. That as you walk through the painful season and experiences of life, you have a savior who can identify with you. And when you're hurting and you're crying out, he can say, I know. I know, me too. I know what it's, I know exactly what it's like. And that should be an encouragement for us. All right, verse 18, let's go. I am not speaking of all of you. Jesus talking to the 12, right, upper room. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, Jesus is quoting King David in Psalm 41. And if you know anything, if you're kind of one of those Old Testament Bible nerds, you probably know Psalm 41 is David writing from a place of being very wounded because of a betrayal. One of his top, the top officers in his cabinet betrayed him. Actually, his son rebelled, tried to overthrow him. His, his, his main dude, his right-hand man, goes with his son. And so he's riding from this place of betrayal. King David is absolutely crushed. And Jesus is actually quoting King David from Psalm uh, 41 here. And Jesus is saying to the 12 guys, he's saying, listen, not everyone, not all 12 of y'all in this room are with me. Not everybody in here is with me. In fact, one, one of you guys is about to betray me. And listen, it's not a surprise to me. I have always known that. Because I know whom I have chosen. Eleven of you are with me. One of you is against me. Verse 19, he continues, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, listen, I'm telling you this now so that when one of you betrays me, it will not be a surprise to you. And so that when it happens and you see that I just predicted the future, 
you will believe that I am he. In other words, hey guys, this is not some cool party trick where I kind of prophesy something and it comes true and everybody's like, oh bro, what an awesome party. I can't believe you just did that. No, 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 He's saying, I'm doing this for a purpose and the purpose is to drive your faith in me deeper. Now, how many of you in your spiritual journey have had just a moment, an experience, an instant where something amazing happened in your life and you know God just did that thing or had that person say something to you to help you along your spiritual journey and help you believe. Most of us have had one of those types of experience. Like, man, I just prayed this prayer and it was so specific and the God of this universe, he heard me and he answered specific. Like, this is nuts. Like, I talk to God and he hears me and he responds. This is crazy. And sometimes God shows up and he shows off in that way. But listen, it is always for the purpose of driving us deeper into the knowledge of who he is, to drive our faith deeper. And that's what he's doing with the disciples right here. He's like, yeah, one of y'all is going to betray me. Don't be surprised when it happens. I, I just told you that it's going to happen. When that happens, you're going to know that I am who I said I am. This is a claim of divinity from Jesus. Now look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus is saying to his disciples here, listen, when I'm betrayed, you need to understand, guys, it's not the end. It's not the end. In fact, it's just, it's just the beginning. Because I'm, I'm then going to send you guys out. So, so don't lose heart when I get arrested. Don't, don't freak out when I go to the cross. Because three days later, I am going to rise again and I'm gonna ascend to the right hand of the Father and then you guys are gonna take this life-giving message of hope all the way to the ends of the world. And so here's truth number one if you're a note taker this morning. Truth number one from the text. The Christian life is a sent life. I don't know if you knew that or not. The Christian life is a sent life. Listen, Jesus doesn't save us, send the Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we can just kind of coast. We can just kind of sit on the couch and veg out on Netflix for the next 50 years because, man, we got our golden ticket to heaven now. No, 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 no. He, he saves us. He gives us his spirit. He gives us a new life. He gives us a new mission to glorify him throughout the rest of our lives. And so let, let me just say this. I, th I think there's been this really crippling philosophy that's kind of trickled into the American church that's wreaked havoc for the last I don't know, three, four, five decades, I think if you really kind of trace it back in, in church history, really probably to the church growth movement of the 1960s and 70s. And, he, and here's, here, here's the danger. And this philosophy has, I just, I think, infiltrated most American churches. It's this idea that there are classes of Christians, okay? So it's this idea that there are, there are like the super Christians. There, there are the, the Navy SEAL uh, a superstar Christian, so you've got like missionaries and you've got like pastors and maybe you got worship leaders and you got people who are on, on stage and man, like they're, they're the really like holy, like really set apart Christians. They, they really got it going on. That's one class of Christians, but then you got this other class of Christians over here and they're just regular everyday Christians, right? So it's like, man, we're, we love Jesus, but 
but we're really not special like the Navy SEAL Christians. And, and so our job as regular everyday Christians is just to come for an hour on Sunday morning or tune in for an hour on live stream and, and sort of spectate and watch the superstar Christians and just kind of soak up some of their juice and some of their knowledge and some of their holiness. And maybe that would just kind of get us through the next six or seven days until we can get back to church again. And can I just tell you that that model is so jacked up. Not only is it wrong, it is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus itself. And I want you to understand, listen, if you are new here, you're newer here, you need to understand this at New Life. We believe that every single believer is indwelt by the same Holy Spirit and given distinct gifts in the kingdom to be, to be used within the body of Christ and in the world to advance the kingdom of Jesus. Now, you need to understand this. We will never, as a church body, we will never be who God intended for us to be. And we will never make the impact in our city and around the world that God wants us to have as long as some of us view ourselves as spectators in the kingdom of God. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a believer, I need you to understand your job is not to spectate. Your job is to get off the sidelines and get in the game of God's kingdom. You need to understand something. You have what it takes, believer. You have what it takes, and you don't have what it takes because you're so cool and you're so awesome. You have what it takes because you have an awesome God that lives within you. Christian, understand, you are sent. The only question is, are you living a sent life? Are you using your gifts to build up the body of Christ in this place, to advance his kingdom in your workplace, on your college campus, on your high school campus, in your neighborhood? Do you even think in those categories? Or is it just like, man, your, your Christian life is kind of compartmentalized to Sunday and then the rest of your life is just like your regular life? No, 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 no. That's not why God sent Jesus to die on the cross and set us free. He set us free. He, he intended to unleash us on the world. So are you using your gifts to make that happen as a believer? Now, you need to know at New Life, we have a pathway for that. We call that pathway the journey pathway. And uh, we're getting ready to relaunch some of those things uh, in person in, in the next eight or nine weeks. But even right now, it's all online, right? So we've got Journey 101. If you're, if you're brand new to New Life, that's for you. Just kind of let you know what our church is all about. Journey 201 is our membership course. That's how you link arms with us officially and say, yes, we are all in. We believe that this is our church body. We wanna link arms with the mission of God, helping people find and follow Jesus right here in Asheville. And we're getting ready this fall to launch a Journey 301 that's gonna be kind of a, a more intensive uh, discipleship world, Christian worldview course. And you can find those on our website, the Next Steps tab, if you're interested in that. So Jesus, all this is happening. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you out. And then Jesus repeat, repeats one more time. He says, hey, listen, when y'all is gonna betray me? Now, all the guys sitting there, except for Judas, I would imagine, they're all shocked. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, they all begin to ask the question, Lord, is it I? So Jesus says, when y'all is gonna betray me? And they all, they all kind of flip out a little bit. They're like, it's not me, is it? Like, Jesus, please, please tell me it's not me, which is pretty amazing, and I think a lesson unto itself. All the guys realized they knew that it could have been any one of them. And I think we ought to approach sin the same way in our life. Listen, when you're reading scripture, when you're listening to a sermon like this one, is your first thought, when someone starts talking about sin, man, I'm so glad my wife is here to hear this. 
Hey, babe, are, are you listening to this? Do you hear this? Is your first thought like, man, I, I wish my neighbor was here because he really needs to hear. I'm going to figure out how to download this message and email it to him because he, man, he really, really needs to hear. This. Is, that your, is that your first thought? Like, yeah, get him, Pastor. Get him, Chris. They need to hear this. No, no, no. We ought to come to the word. We ought to come to the commands of Jesus, just like the disciples. Is it me, Jesus? Jesus, is it me? God, is this sin taking root in my heart, in my soul? I'm not even worried about my spouse or the guy sitting behind me or my neighbor or my mom. God, is it me? Is this in me? Jesus, am I grieving your spirit? Is this sin present in my life? God, if it is, would you illuminate it? Would you, would you show it to me? Would you teach me to hate my own sin the way you hate my sin because you love me, God? Would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? God, don't let me, don't let me be Judas to you. The scholars tell us that in the upper room, they were likely seated around a U-shaped table. And Jesus would have been seated at the head as the table host. John was sitting at his right and this may surprise you, but Judas was sitting right on his left. By the way, both positions of great honor. And so they're there trying to figure out, like, man, who, who is it? Who, who's the guy here who's going to betray Jesus? And um, the text tells us that Peter, who's apparently sitting across the room, he motions over to John, who's sitting right beside Jesus, and he, goes, he starts doing sign language, like, ask him who it is. Ask him who it is. John's like, who it is. So John leans over against Jesus and he goes, hey Jesus, who is it? Who's the betrayer? And Jesus tells him. Jesus says, hey listen, I'm gonna dip this piece of bread in my hand into this sauce or you know, hummus or whatever. And the guy that I hand it to is gonna be the guy. It's gonna be the betrayer. So he takes it and he dips it and he hands it to his left over to Judas Iscariot. Now, you gotta understand, in this culture, this was a sign of great honor. This would have been like a toast in our culture. So if you've ever been to a wedding or a fancy party, right, where somebody, the host of the party gets up and they you know, bang on their little glass, like, hey, everybody, can I, can I have your attention? I wanna, I wanna invite you to raise your glass to Tom Smith. This is for you, buddy. We're all here because of you. Thank you, Tom. Cheers to Tom, right? Everybody's, yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom. This is what Jesus is doing for Judas here. It's a sign of honor. This is, this is stunning, right? Jesus invests three plus years of friendship, blood, sweat, tears, teaching into Judas, who's about to betray him. And look, I'm just being honest with you. If I'm sitting in Jesus' seat, and thank God that I'm not, when John leans over to me and says, hey, listen, how are we gonna know who it is? I'm gonna be like, hey, the guy that I punch in the mouth right now, the dude with blood spraying out of his nose, that's how you'll know. <laughs> that's how you'll know. Thank God I'm not Jesus, right? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus honors Judas. He loves him to the very end, pursues him to the end, offers him relationship to the very end, which I hope is an encouragement to you. Because what that means, I think, is that, listen, it doesn't matter how, how, how deep your sin runs or how messy your life currently is, Jesus offers you grace. And he offers you relationship. And thank God he offers you second chances and third chances and 400th chances. And so if you think that you're too messed up for God to love you, let this scene with Jesus and Judas just be a reminder to you that it is never too late. And Jesus is pursuing you because he loves you. Came across this fantastic 
quote from a pastor up in Manhattan named Tim Keller. I'll put it on the screens for you. This is what he wrote. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Do you realize that that's the truth about you? That's the bad news. And yet, Keller says, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That is the gospel. And that is the grace that Jesus, right until the end, is offering Judas. Now, let the story of Judas also be a sobering reminder to us of the danger of just playing a part in life. Billy Graham, many of you guys heard that name, one of the most famous evangelists, died just a few years ago. He once estimated that 50% of people sitting in the church on any given Sunday morning in America were lost. Meaning that half the people in every church in America have some semblance of religion and maybe know some facts about Jesus, some facts about the Bible, but have no life-changing relationship with the God of this universe. 50% he estimated. Now, friend, I want you to know that religion alone cannot save you. Listen, religion just diagnoses the problem. It has no power to actually save you, to transform you. It's not the solution. So you gotta understand, listen, going to church is good. I hope you go to church. I'm glad you're here. Reading your Bible, praying, good. I hope you do it. Being a good person. Recycling your plastics at home, good, right? Not kicking your dog when your team loses in the NCAA tournament, you know? Or if you're Duke, you don't have to worry about it. They didn't even make the tournament, right? <laughs> relax, relax. Listen, I'm a Bama fan. I only get to celebrate basketball like once every 50 years, so let me have my moment here, Duke fans. Listen, all that stuff, good. Go to church, read the Bible, be a good person, don't kick your dog. Listen, none of that is going to fix what separates you from your creator. You understand that? Jesus is the only remedy for your soul sickness. And so, friend, let me just encourage you. Make sure you aren't just playing the part. Judas looked really good, didn't he? I mean, for Pete's sake, he's one of the 12 dudes, He's one of Jesus' inner circle, man. He followed him around, lived with him for, for three years. He looked really good on the outside, but his heart was very far from Jesus. Friend, do not let his story become your story. Religion kills, Jesus sets free. One last thing before we move on. In verse 23, I think this is hilarious. John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. That's, that's what he consistently calls himself. The one who, I, who are you, John? I'm the one who Jesus loves. I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but it's just kind of who I am. And he consistently refers to himself. That, now, part of me thinks that John, as he's writing this, he's like, man, I, <laughs> I'm gonna call myself the one who Jesus loves. I can't wait till Peter sees this. I can't wait till the 12 guys read this. They're gonna kill me. But I think of even a bigger part of this is I think John really, truly rooted his identity in Jesus' love for him. That had become his primary identity. And listen to me, friend, our, we live in a culture that is absolutely suffocating right now under the weight of an identity crisis. Am I wrong? Absolutely. Man, people are so confused. Nobody knows who they are anymore. We're confused about gender identity issues and sexual identity issues, and we're divided along political identity lines. And understand this, I'm not, I'm not angry at anybody. I'm not one of those pastors who can get up here and foam at the mouth and rage against the culture. 
anything like that. I'm, I'm not angry. I'm not frustrated at anybody that struggles with some of these identity questions. I believe that our posture as followers of Jesus towards everyone should always be grace and compassion as we point people to the only one who can give them their, own, their true identity. But friend, know this. Before you identify as anything else in your life, you need to make sure that your primary identity, like John is, I'm the one who Jesus loves. Before you're a Democrat, before you're a Republican, before you're a masker, an anti-masker, a vaxxer, anti- all that other dumb stuff that we just kind of argue about and fight about in our culture, you need to make sure that your primary identity is rooted just like John. I'm the one that Jesus loves, and I'm sure of it. Because if that is your primary identity, in my experience, everything else in life just kind of tends to fall into place. And that's our second truth this morning, number, tru- number two, truth number two. Friend, root your identity in the right soil. Root your identity, your primary, the essence of who you are in the right soil. If you want to flourish in life, if you want to bear fruit in your life, if you want to grow in your life, you've got to make sure that you're planting and growing roots in the right soil for your identity. Listen, this is so important because if you get this wrong, everything else in your life tends to go sideways. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna end up living a very sort of confused life. You're gonna end up living a quite frustrated life, which is not what Jesus wants for you. Let's dive back into the text. All this kind of chaotic scenes going on. Look at verse 27. Then after he, Judas, had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him quickly. Now that's a sermon unto itself. That's kind of terrifying if you just stop and think about it. I'm pretty sure that Judas didn't wake up that morning and be like, man, today's the day I'm gonna invite Satan to just inhabit me, right? It was a, it was a slow drift, And it always is a slow drift. Jesus said to him after Satan entered him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, so he was kind of like the treasurer of of the group. Jesus was telling him, hey, go buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out and it was night. Or your translation may say it was dark. And John isn't just telling us what time of day it is. We're supposed to feel the weightiness of the spiritual darkness that just happened right here as Judas walked out of the room and set this plan into motion. There's no, there's no turning back now. There's no going back. The betrayal has been put into motion. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now what Jesus is saying here is, listen guys, it's, it's dark right now, but it's not over. The pain, the cross, the blood of Friday, tomorrow is going to lead to the glory of resurrection on Sunday. He's going, guys, listen, don't lose your minds when I get arrested in a few hours. Don't lose hope when I go to the cross. This is, listen, this is all part of the plan. And what looks like defeat to the world is actually a plan that's gonna, that's gonna lead to my glory and the glorification of the Father. Verse 33, little children, this is a term of endearment. He loves these guys. He's tight with these guys, little children. Yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And what Jesus is saying to Peter here is, listen, where, where I'm go- about to go, you can't come, Peter. Now, where was Jesus about to go? He's about to go to the cross. 
And Peter's like, why, why, why can't I come with you, Jesus? Like, I will, I will die for you, man. I will lay down my, my life for you. And Jesus, in a twist of irony, says, well, Peter, you actually will follow me. We know that historically, many years later, Jesus uh, was cru- obviously crucified then, but Peter was also crucified many years later, upside down. So Peter would get to follow Jesus in that type of death. But he's saying to Peter, listen, I gotta go, I gotta go to the cross alone. See, Jesus was the only one who came into this world that lived a perfect and a sinless life. He's the only one who could step into the place of sinners like Peter and like you and like me and die a substitutionary death so that his righteousness could be applied to my unrighteousness so that one day when I stand before the God of this universe, just like you will, friend, one day you will stand before the God of this universe and on that day, God will look at me and he will see the righteousness of Jesus applied to my life instead of my own sin and my own filth and he will look at me and he will declare me righteous and clean, not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus did on my behalf. And Jesus is saying to Peter, I gotta do this alone, man. You can't come with me to the cross, Peter. Verse 38, Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. See, Peter, for all of his bravery and bravado, would betray Jesus, not once, not twice, but three separate times that faithful night. Now, history tells us Peter one day would die for Jesus. But before Peter could die for Jesus, Jesus had to die for Peter to set him free. And so we know in the the story that after Peter denied Jesus for the third time, actually Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus' eyes glance over to Peter and their eyes lock for a moment. What was that that moment like for Peter? When he realizes that he just betrayed his Savior for the third time and Jesus locks eyes with him as he's being beaten and mocked, probably blood streaming down his face. And Luke tells us that Peter was so crushed by his sin that he went out, he ran out, and he wept bitterly. See, Peter was wrecked by his sin. He didn't didn't try to justify it. He didn't try to compare it and say, well, I only denied him three times, but there are people over there that denied him 300 times, so in comparison to them, I'm actually not not that bad. No, 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 no. He, He was wrecked by his sin in light of a perfect, holy, sinless God. And Peter thought, surely Jesus was done with him, and yet we see after the resurrection, not only did Jesus forgive Peter, but he comes back to him and he recommissions him and sends him out, makes him one of the pillars of the early church. He absolutely wipes Peter's sin away and set him free. And I want you to understand, friend, he can do this very same thing for you this morning. And that's the third take-home truth I want you to walk away with this morning. Number three, God's grace runs deeper than all your sin, friend. God's grace runs deeper than all of your sin. Listen, if you're here this morning, if you're tuned in on the live stream and you're running from God, if you feel like you are, you are trapped in your sin, you're like, man, I just got this sin and I can't get rid of it and I, I've tried and I just keep going back to the same sin and I'm a slave to the sin. I feel like I'm in a sin prison. I want you to know that God's grace is deeper than all of your sin. Now I want to finish with what I think is the climax of this whole chapter, beginning in verse 34. Jesus says this to his guys. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now this is one of the most incredible lessons Jesus ever gives his disciples. 
She just goes, hey guys, listen, I'm about to go to the cross. I've just been betrayed by one of my disciples, but I'm gonna rise again. I'm gonna send to the right hand of the Father. I'm gonna send you guys out as my ambassadors. And I, here's what I want you to be about. I want you to love each other. Now, now that in and of itself is not a new commandment. I mean, in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, there's actually a commandment that says you should love your neighbor as yourself. But what Jesus is doing is he's taking that old love commitment and he's elevating it, right? And he's saying, listen, I don't, it's not good enough for you just to love your neighbor as yourself. I actually want you to love one another like I have loved you. Church, how has Jesus loved us? He's given everything for us. He's given his life. What has he withheld from us? He's withheld nothing, not even his own life from us. And so now as his disciples, as his people, our manifesto is a manifesto of love as his disciples. Let me just ask you, believer, how are you doing with this? How are you doing this with this? How are you loving your brothers and your sisters in the faith the way Jesus loved you? Now let me, let me just take a second and, and, and brag on you guys as a pastor because the reality is, um, there are all kinds of things going on constantly behind the scenes that you guys just are unaware of. But I, I, am, I am so proud. There, there are so many times when there's someone who is sick in our church body, there's someone who has a baby, there's some kind of circumstance, and I just watch you guys rally around each other. I mean, mill trains left and right, my, I know because my wife is signing up for them all the time, and you know, mill trains left and right for sick people. I just talked to a, a small group leader this last week and he was telling me how there was a, a couple in their small group who had, who had a need and um, so the group just got together and took up donations and took care of the issue for them. And you, got, you guys love each other well. So let me just, let me encourage you, if you're already doing that, keep doing it. If you're not yet a part of that sort of love revolution that Jesus has called us to, let me encourage you, come on in, the water feels good, you know, join us in that. Let's keep loving each other with the ferocious love of Jesus. Now, now listen, as we kind of wrap this up, I don't know if you know this or not, but our, our culture is very divided right now. Did you know that? Do you realize, unless you've been hiding under a rock, I think you probably realize that. We are so fractured as a culture over so many issues. And again, let me, let me just say, man, I'm not saying that these, these issues are insignificant, but in the grand scheme of things, compared to the kingdom of Jesus, they're really goofy things that we're divided over. Masks, vaccines, virus, who you voted for last November, just stuff that in the end, man, it's gonna be in the wash. And people are up in arms, man, wanting to fight, argue, and cancel each other on social media if they don't agree with my particular, just dumbness. We're so divided. We're in this world now where people are desperate for something or someone to unify around. So just, just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment. What if the church of Jesus in 2021 became that, that picture of love and unity, not around an issue in our culture, but around a risen Savior in spite of our differences? What if we didn't fracture along the same lines as everything else in our culture? What if we rose above that? and said, we are gonna unify around the most important thing, and that is the saving gospel, grace, and love of Jesus Christ. In spite of our differences. Man, listen, that, that's what, I don't know if you know this, this, this is what made the first century church so powerful. Do you know that the first century church was made up of rich people, poor people, ethnic Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, that means white people, Africans, 
Men, women, prostitutes, priests, tax collectors, political zealots. So you had the conservative right political people. You had the the, the left-leaning political people. Nothing in common in the first century church except for their love for Jesus, and that was absolutely enough for them. And they flipped the world on its head. And even Jesus says in this text, this is how the world will know you belong to me. Not by how much Bible you know, not by how good your theology is, not by how much you rail against the culture on social media. The world will know that you belong to me by how you guys love each other in the body of Christ. That's how they'll know. This is our greatest apologetic church by our love for one another. And so that's our fourth and final truth this morning. Number four, radical Christian love is evidence of a risen Savior. Our love for each other is evidence of a risen Savior. Now, now listen, if you're here, I just, I'm just gonna tell you, you're, you're in one of two camps whether you realize it or not. Because here's what I know about you, even if we've never met. You're messed up. Did you know that? You are. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You're jacked up just like I am. You're broken just like I am. So you're either broken and messed up and sinful this morning in the spirit or the pathway of Judas, meaning that you are trying to clean yourself up with religion or self-justification. Remember, Judas wasn't like this bad, he wasn't like a, a, a mobster going around whacking people. <laughs> this guy was a disciple. He looked religious. He looked really good on the outside. He was a religious dude. So maybe you're in the spirit of Judas this morning. Maybe you're religious, but if you're being honest, Jesus is not the king of your life. And I don't know, maybe even you've got everybody fooled around you. Maybe you got your parents fooled. Maybe you got your spouse fooled. Maybe you got me fooled. But you don't have God fooled. And if that's you, if you're religious, or if you're just trying to kind of justify yourself through life, I'm not that bad. There are other people bad than me. I'm going to be okay. I want you to understand that I believe Jesus' posture towards you, just like his posture towards Judas, is not anger. I don't think he's angry at you. I don't think his posture towards you is hatred, but one of grace and love and forgiveness. And he's inviting you into his kingdom today. Just like he extended that last morsel of hope to Judas, he's extending his grace and his love to you. Maybe for the last time, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And so my question for you, if you're in that camp, you're in that Judas camp, maybe you're religious, but you don't know Jesus. Will you accept his grace? Will you follow him? Will you repent of your sin? Will you pledge your allegiance to the king of this universe? So maybe you're in that camp, but maybe you're in another camp. Maybe you're broken, but you're broken more like Peter, meaning that you're messed up and you're jacked up too, but you know it. (laughs) You realize it. And so you've repented of your sin. And you continue to repent of your sin every single day and you've given your life to Jesus and you're doing your dead level best to follow in his pathway in his kingdom. And so if that's you, if you're in that camp, you're broken, but you're broken like Peter, the only question that remains for you is this. Are you living out the kingdom ethic of love in your life? 
I mean real love, guys. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about you, you come in church and say hi to everybody and God bless you and what's going on. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. I'll pray. I'll, okay, that's fine, but those, those are cheap words. How are you authentically, sacrificially giving yourself away and loving each other with a ferocious love within the body of Christ? Because that's how Jesus says the world is going to know that my message is true and that you guys belong to me. So how are you loving one another like Jesus, church? Because the reality is this, it's only as we begin to live out the principles of this upside down kingdom of Jesus that we're gonna find happiness in our life, that we're gonna find peace, hope, contentment in our life. And it's only as we begin to apply these things in our lives that the world around us is gonna see us and see God in us and through us. So may this be so in our life and in this place as a faith family for God's glory and for our good. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing one more time. God, we love you. God, we thank you for sending us us on mission, God. Thank you for not saving us and then just sitting us on the sideline to wait for heaven, but that we have a purpose. We have a mission that's so much greater than ourselves, God that you invite us to be your ambassadors right where we work, right where we go to school, in our neighborhoods, with our friends, God. Would you help us not to compartmentalize our faith? Would you help us bleed our faith into every single area of our lives so that other people could see and know your goodness? God, would you help us to root our identity first and foremost in your son, Jesus? So that like John, when somebody asks us who we are, man, my, I'm loved by Jesus. That's who I am. Before I'm anything else, before I take any political position, before my ethnic identity, before anything else, my first and primary identity is that I am loved by Jesus. I am the son. I am the daughter of the king of the universe. God, would you help us to root our identity in you, God? And then finally, Father, would you help us? to apply your radical, sacrificial love to our lives, God. Help it not just be lip service. Would you teach us? Even now, God, would you begin to implant practical ideas in our mind, maybe a picture of somebody's face or somebody that needs help, God, something practical that we could do to show the love of Jesus so that the world would look in on our lives as a church. And maybe they would even say, man, we don't know what those crazy Christians believe. We're not sure about all this death and resurrection stuff, but their lives are so beautiful. The way they love each other is so compelling. And I don't know, even know if I believe what they believe, but I want to be a part of what they're a part of because this is transforming the world. Would you make it so in our lives, God? Would you make it so in this body called New Life Community Church? And we pray all these things in your son's beautiful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing.